If we want to take our foot out of our mouths, another thing that we have to do is uh, we have to stop over-spiritualizing injustice. Speak a word. The devil's not making us racist. Please say that. The, the, the devil's not making us sexist and homophobic. Welcome to All God's Children. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go and talk about that taboo trinity. Race, religion, and politics. Thank you for joining the Raceless Gospel Podcast, where word meets flesh, and where we gather to talk about the sticks and stones that break the skin and bones of the body of Christ and the structure of a church service. I am your host and podcast pastor, Starlet Thomas. Season three of the Raceless Gospel Podcast is brought to you in part by the CBF Podcast. Since 2016, the CBF Podcast has delivered over 300 episodes of interviews with thinkers, authors, theologians, creatives, and practitioners for conversations that matter. These critical and innovative conversations have garnered weekly support from around the world. The CBF Podcast tries to cultivate healthy and diverse theological dialogue in a culture fraught with division. Stream and subscribe to the CBF Podcast on Apple, Google, Amazon, SoundCloud, and all other major podcast platforms. Learn more at cbf.net slash podcasts. On today's podcast, I am joined by Willie Francois III, who is an academician and scholar who serves as senior pastor at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church in Pleasantville, New Jersey, and is associated with numerous organizations, boards, and initiatives. We will discuss the body language of the North American church, which consistently puts its foot in its mouth. But first, won't you pray for us? And do pray with me. God who has a word for it who puts the divine finger on it, who has a hand and a foot in it, who speaks through a burning bush and a ram caught in the thicket, who makes it plain and the way clear through prophet and priest who said the same thing again and again, who walked it out in Jesus, who rinses us in baptism and commissions us to repeat it. We repent. We repent for washing our hands of the work that we need to come together as a body that believes that all members are created equally. For color-coding the body of Jesus, for racializing his gospel, for segregating his church, for providing theological cover for oppression, and for blessing the dehumanizing efforts of capitalism. We repent. We repent for recreating some of us as supreme and defacing others to put them in the numerical minority, as if we don't all count. As if we all don't count for something and as someone, as a person, a fellow human being. As if we are not all made in the imago dei, in the spitting image of our creator. We confess that we know the truth but pretend to be ignorant of the words for equality, for justice, For peace, we confess that we simply refuse to say them. To deconstruct race and to denounce white supremacy, we ask you, dear God, to perform a miracle, to take our foot out of our mouth and inspire us to not only say humility, justice, and reparations, but to act it out. 
Because how else can we claim to walk with Jesus? You have a word for those who pretend to. While we are thinking of it, throw some holy water on us because we have been stuck like this for a long time. And we are ready to say something different so we can go in a different direction. Amen. What has the North American church said now? What has it ever said as a collective body to address American slavery and its progeny? Not to be confused with issuing separate statements still divided into southern and northern states by denominational affiliation. It's just segregation under a different name. Still segregated on Sunday mornings. What is the Christian's testimony? I'll believe in unity when you perform it. I need a consistent demonstration, not a show of it, not for photo ops or out of some self-serving obligation. Don't smile if you don't really mean it. First, giving honor to God on the first day of the week, we testify to our belief in race religiously. We show up for the service we believe that God wants and that we know will be well-received because we know how God wants to be worshipped, and it is silently or quietly as an act of reverence, or it is joyfully and energetically as an act of celebration. Either way, the church goes both ways. There is a right and wrong way, a proper and improper way, which is to say a civilized and a heathen way, to show your love for God. And if you won't behave, if you can't culturally assimilate, then you can't come in. The North American church continues to show us the way and that things really haven't changed. Until we come to grips with what we have said and done, what we are saying and doing with our bodies to maintain the positions of us and them while claiming to be Christ's body, It will always be a shame, and I will continue to testify to it. Our scripture reading is 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verses 17 through 21. The New Revised Standard Version translates Paul's words this way. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing... Where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. This is the word of God. For the people of God. Thanks be to God. This is Reverend Starlet Thomas, your podcast pastor, and we'll be right back.
Religious freedom has been wiped too long. Baptist Joint Committee for Religious Liberty is exploring this truth and reimagining its mission at the intersection of religious freedom and racial justice. Listen and learn with BJC. Visit bjconline.org slash resources for videos, discussion guides, podcasts, and more to help your congregation and community host meaningful conversations about faith, freedom, and justice. Fellowship Southwest is a new kind of church connection where all are invited to join in the faithful work for compassion and justice. Agile and creative, Fellowship Southwest engages in areas of deep need often around immigration, hunger, indigenous people groups, racial and economic justice. At Fellowship Southwest, your church can be itself and your mission can be multiplied. Learn more at fellowshipsouthwest.org. This is Reverend Starlet Thomas, welcoming you back to this episode of the Raceless Gospel Podcast. I want to introduce to some and present again to others Willie Francois III, who is also an author and has recently published Silencing White Noise, Six Practices to Overcome Our Inaction on Race. For today's sermon, we will engage in the tradition of call and response, a sacred back and forth. Feel free to join in as official members of the Amen Corner. Pray for us as we discuss the North American church's body language. The first question I want to ask you uh, is this. I'm going to catch it this way. The late um, Kane Hope Felder wrote in Troubling Biblical Waters, Uh, race, class, and family. Today, popular Christianity too easily assumes that modern ideas about race are traceable to the Bible or that there is not a significant African presence in the Bible. Centuries of European and Euro-American scholarship, along with a save the heathen blacks missionary approach to Africans, have created these impressions. In your estimation, in your opinion, how did the North American church's theological endorsement and practice of slavery effectively put its foot in its mouth? Uh, Thank you for for the question. I I think that we cannot talk about American chattel slavery and Christianity without using the H word, right? Uh, Heresy. Uh, Yes, sir. It is clear that one of the founding heresies of American Christianity is its issue with race. Uh, James Baldwin talks about uh, the fact that these, you know, the the difference between uh, the slaveholding Christians who come to Africa and the African chiefs who sell black bodies is that at least the African chiefs were honest that they were dealing with human beings. Uh, and the, the slaveholding Christians, these, these, these missionaries of terror and tyranny uh, were, were nothing more than people propagating lies. Uh, and that has been the big lie you know, before the 2020 election, big lie. The big lie has been a Christian lie uh, that black people are not human. And this was something that that Christians had to tell themselves as a way of justifying slavery. Uh, I don't think that, so you cannot talk about American Christianity without talking about 
the heresy of, of, of slavery and talking about how whiteness is a form of idolatry. Uh, the fact that whiteness has been has been lifted as the ultimate, right? Uh, Tillich talks about, uh, and, and George Kelsey talks about whatever your ultimate concern is, uh, that has become your God. And so whiteness to a great extent is an American deity. Uh, and we could say that so many Christians have been acolytes to that deity. Uh, so many white Christians have allowed uh, their, 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 their interpretation of the way of Jesus to be reduced to heresy, to be reduced to uh, a, a, a kind of idolatry because of that. When you have, when you have Frederick Douglass in his 4th of July speech, right? What is the 4th of July to the Negro? He's not, he's not only critiquing American Republicans, right? People who believe in American uh, Republic. He's also critiquing Christianity uh, and the the pageantry and the parades that come along with 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 Christianity. Uh, when you think about David Walker's appeal, David Walker commits a whole chapter to call the roll. About how Christian how Christians obviously don't read their own Bible uh, that talks about love, that talks about justice, that talks about mercy, and so slavery is. A, I think slavery gives us the first opportunity to say that maybe there is no such thing as Christianity. Maybe we are dealing with Christianities uh, because the, the, the religion of master cannot be the same Christianity that was developed and, and nurtured uh, and blossoming in the brush harbors of the antebellum South. So at least in this country, you have freedom-loving Christianity and you have slave-holding Jim Crow Christianity. Therefore, we have to ask ourselves the question, is a singular Christianity even possible in a country that is based on racial chauvinism and, and white superiority? Well, go ahead, listeners. What you don't know, he just he just snuck a preach in and then took a sip of water as if he has not scalded the place. <laughs> now that you've cleared your palate off the top, uh, my follow up question is this: uh, the effects. Let me just say, it took all of my Holy Ghost to keep me from saying Amen because I wanted to, I wanted you to get it all out. So the effects of American slavery are perhaps most evident in its churches. What is the body language of Sunday morning segregation and why are Christian believers still sending this message? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's so much so I, I think about, uh, you know, white soccer moms clutching their purse and, and, and pulling back when I think about uh, how our posture is on, on Sunday mornings. I think that is, you know, th this concept that Sunday morning is the most segregated day of the week. Uh, is one of Dr. King's quotes that he only said one time, and we we act as if it was the cardinal point point of his ministry. Uh, Dr. King was more concerned about segregation that denied access to power, access to resources, access to education, more than he was concerned about the kind of separation that exists uh, along the lines of, of, of race and class, right? Because let's not also forget our churches are also class segregated. Uh, you know, I know a lot of faith folk who love to serve 
poor people on Saturday, but do not invite them to worship on Sunday. So we cannot say we so. Don't want to act like segregation is just along the lines of race when it comes to Christians, because there are many black churches uh, that have not figured out how to how to be in community uh, with the overwhelming numbers of, of, of black folk who are caught uh, in, in the basement of our, of our economic system. But 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 let me say this. Segregation exists in churches because of white Christian terrorism. You don't have a black church, right? You don't have black churches without white Christian terrorism that makes black churches necessary. Uh, uh, Richard Allen uh, and Absalom Jones start their movements as a result of white rules of racial purity and, and, and liturgical purity. And so you have uh, you have the Brush Harbor, which I just mentioned, uh, because you needed slaves needed a place where they could embrace, adapt to, and adopt a sense of somebodyness outside of the gaze of, of, of whiteness, right? And so Black churches exist because of white Christian terrorism and white Christian segregation. And so it is always interesting to me how I often hear, you know, my, my white brothers and sisters talk of, you know, at one time I was asked at a, at a World Council of Churches, you know, and I was much younger, uh, you know, Willie, this white pastor, asked, uh, she asked, uh, you know, will the Black church ever cease to exist? And I'm and I'm like, well, let's let's reverse that question. Will the white church ever cease to exist? Because you have a black church because of the kind of vitriol, the kind of terror that was raised against black bodies simply wanting to worship. I'm talking about psychic terror, but also physical terror, right? Let, 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 let's not forget that some of the some of the most iconic, and I use that language cautiously, some of the most iconic pictures of lynchings happen in between Sunday school and Sunday morning worship, where you have entire congregations that go outside to witness a lynching right after Sunday school and go back to the mourner's bench as if a human life wasn't just taken, right? So we're talking about psychic and we're talking about physical physical violence that created the necessity for segregated Sundays, places so that, you know, uh, baby Suggs in, in uh, Toni Morrison's Beloved uh, talks of, in, in the clearing, uh, it preaches love your unnoosed neck, right? You, you couldn't get messages of loving your unnoosed neck uh, in, in white dominated spaces and black people were they, they desperately needed that kind of messaging that affirmed a sense of somebodyness for them. Thank you for raising the point. As soon as you mentioned um, just a clarity around King's words, I automatically remembered him giving voice to a fear that he had integrated his people into a burning house. Um, and so something needs to be said about that and done about that. And thank you for answering that question um, so well. If I could just jump in, and, and, and I want to remind us that before the Confederacy, before South Carolina secedes from the United States in 1860, in 1844, the Methodist church split over the issue of slavery. And I think in 1845, the Baptist church split because of slavery. So you have the Southern Baptist church today that grew out of a need to maintain support of the peculiar institution of, of slavery. So I'm just raising this question that before the country Teacher. split over slavery, the church split over slavery. Well, let the church say amen. 
so, so in light of that, what are some words that the North American church needs to take back if it is to speak clearly and prophetically? One of those words is reconciliation. Mm. Uh, it, it, you know, the, you know, I don't talk regularly about the fragility of whiteness, uh, but whiteness is so fragile that it does skip to reconciliation without actually repairing the harm. There can be no oneness across races, right? And, and oneness is a serious abstraction that we have to figure out what it actually means. But there can be no reconciliation across races unless there's been some repairing to the harm. It is a great gamble and a great act of faith that, that so many white Christians want Black people to take when we've seen no evidence that our lives are safe in white space, right? Uh, so, so, so reconciliation is one of those words that the church must really come to terms with because we want kumbaya. We, we, we want this mythic oneness without actually doing the work of analyzing how the structures of whiteness are real. And, 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 and it's, 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 it's not simply uh, about inclusion, but this is about harm that has been done for 400, for 400 years. Uh, and for 400 plus years. And so if, if, if the church really wants to be a vehicle for justice and to be the container, the, the contemporary container for the Jesus movement, which I'm not sure it is, uh, there, there's some other spaces I think that practice Jesus better than churches do. Amen. Uh, but, but, but we have to, we have to come to terms with the fact that reconciliation is, is it, it, it's a great end goal, but the process is justice. The process is reparation. Uh, the, 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 the process is considering the harm, taking account for the harm and, 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 and actually pivoting, right? We need structural atonement for what has happened to black bodies, what has happened to Native American bodies, what is currently happening to, to you know, immigrant Latinx bodies, right? At the hands of Christians. So we cannot jump to reconciliation without also doing the work of justice. Yeah. F foot, foot in mouth. It's not a comfortable position. How then might the North American church equip itself to be trauma-informed while addressing these past and present self-inflicted woundings? Yeah, well, one is uh, it, it's probably high time for the North American church to read more. Uh, and Well, they're not going to like you for that. <clears throat> Reverend, Dr., Reverend Dr. Bishop, now see... You you about to get us kicked out the church, right? We, we gotta read, right? And and we cannot. We have to read. We have to confront history. Um, part of the work is we have to have a momentum to encounter history, to encounter the 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 ugliness of who we are as a continent the ugliness of what we have perpetuated as, as a faith tradition and the ways that excuse this, the ways we bastardize the Jesus movement. Um, we, we really haven't taken seriously the fact that Jesus was born of a teenage mother. Jesus was an infant refugee escaping the, a, a, a murderous government. 
uh, that Jesus was profiled by by religious elites, uh, that Jesus lived under a police state and police tyranny uh, across his life, that Jesus was denied a fair trial, and that Jesus dies the death of a convicted criminal, right? That Jesus, like, one thing we have to do is be honest that Jesus was born into a manger to cross pipeline, right? Is that Jesus was not unique in terms of how he died. That's what they did to Hebrews who got out of line. That's what they did to poor folk who decided they didn't want to be poor anymore. That's what they did to revolutionaries. Jesus died the death of a rebel. And we have to be honest that Jesus was a part of a manger to cross pipeline. Everybody was poor. And so many people were being targeted by religious elites and targeted by the Roman settler colonialism. If Christianity has to start there, right? We have to read, we have to take seriously our own history, but we have to also take seriously the body of Jesus. One thing I often say is the body of Christ must finally take seriously the body of Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. The church has to take seriously the fact that we are students of a man who was hyper-marginalized and a victim of state-sponsored violence. That's important. Uh, If we want to take our foot out of our mouths, another thing that we have to do is uh, we have to stop over-spiritualizing injustice. Speak a word. Uh, You know, the devil is not making us racist. Please say that. The the, devil is not making us sexist and homophobic. Uh, You know, we are perpetuating that. We have shaped ourselves in that in that kind of of, of sin. And, and, And we have to be clear uh, that that our sins have to also be systemic and not just individual and not just isolated. And the last thing I, I must say is we have to crucify this Americanized white Christ and leave him in the tomb. Stop resurrecting white Jesus from America's tombs of capitalism. Uh, that Jesus is not saving anybody. The, not at that, all. That Jesus needs to stay in the tomb and we need to keep that tomb covered. You can't say st- <laughs> Where do we go from here? Last question, your final thoughts. The late, the great, the amazing, the incomparable Bell Hooks uh, concluded in A Pedagogy of Hope, to build community requires vigilant awareness of the work we must continually do to undermine all the socialization that leads us to behave in ways that perpetuate domination. What is the North American church's work to this end? Yeah. I I talked a moment ago about the need for us to encounter our history as a faith tradition. Uh, And part of the work is being honest about how the church has caped for racism, how the church has been allied with militarism how the church has been allied toward uh, anti-Blackness, anti-Brownness, anti-Indigenousness. If if we cannot be honest about that being a fundamental part of our history, uh, we are doomed. We, We literally, time is running out for us to get this right. We have a planet that is warming at alarming rates. Uh, We have infectious diseases that our climate denying, science denying theology is not going to save us from. 
Uh, and we have a racial problem that is married to gender and married to class uh, that, that the church <clears throat> has been at the fore of. And now is the time uh, for us to be honest about that, that poverty is not Jesus' responsibility to solve, it's ours. Racism is not Jesus' problem to solve, it's ours, right? Uh, that, that, that God is waiting on us to solve the issues that we, the sins that we have created to atone uh, for the sins that are destroying uh, hu human lives. And we can't do that unless we're honest about the role Christianity has played in protecting Hitler's, the role it has played in delivering the Oval Office to a Donald Trump. It has to be clear about the role it continues to play in the death of a planet, which is the, which is according to the Bible, we were called to have stewardship over, not domination over, That's right? right? Uh, like, and unless we're honest about where we've been and what our, our and the origins, the, the tragic origins of North American Christian chauvinism, uh, then, then, then we're really betraying and belying the very savior that we we claim to be followers of. Uh, I, I said earlier that there are some other institutions and organizations and pockets of humanity that look more like Jesus than we do. We have to ask ourselves the question, why did Gandhi say I would have been a Christian, but I never met one, right? Uh, what is it? What are we doing as Jesus people that is betraying the very movement that, 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 that his life, teachings, and death were down payments for that we are responsible for bringing into, into fruition. Uh, I, I'll close with this. Harry Emerson Fosdick says, Christianity is not a set of doctrines that we call true. It is a life that we have to make Christianity true. Christianity only becomes true with our next action. And so we make Christianity a lie when we ally ourselves with, with, with uh, derogatory and dehumanizing power. We make Christianity a lie when we ally ourselves with, with, with bigots uh, who have the power to determine someone's life outcomes. We, we make Christianity a lie when we use Preach, it sir. to prop up uh, segregation. Uh, in our schools and in our residencies. We make Christianity a lie when we're more committed to uh, America's flags than we are to American peoples, right? And we have to ask ourselves this question, how long are we going to let Christianity be a lie? Are we going to actually live up to, to what Jesus uh, lived, taught, and died uh, for humanity to be? Reverend Doctor. Really, Francois the Third. I do thank you. What a time we have had at this podcast church service. <laughs> thank you for having me. I feel deeply edified. <laughs> I want to thank you for your words of wisdom. Thank you for having me. It was an honor. I want to thank our guest, Willie Francois the Third, and extend to you, our listeners, an opportunity to know this Jesus who walks the talk and will talk you out of the faith-compromising positions that we all find ourselves in. The Raceless Gospel Podcast Season 3 is brought to you by Good Faith Media. 
You can support our work and witness by making a tax-deductible contribution to Good Faith Media at goodfaithmedia.org. This concludes this episode of the podcast, but not the conversation. Let's keep watching our body language. Head over to our Fellowship Hour at Raceless Gospel Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and Raceless Gospel Pod on Twitter. Absent in the body, but present in the Wi-Fi spirit. I'll see you there. On next week's episode of the Raceless Gospel Podcast, we'll hear from Morgan Stralo and talk about what the North American church turns a blind eye to. Season three of the Raceless Gospel Podcast is brought to you in part by the CBF Podcast. Since 2016, the CBF Podcast has delivered over 300 episodes of interviews with thinkers, authors, theologians, creatives, and practitioners for conversations that matter. These critical and innovative conversations have garnered weekly support from around the world. The CBF Podcast tries to cultivate healthy and diverse theological dialogue in a culture fraught with division. Stream and subscribe to the CBF Podcast on Apple, Google, Amazon, SoundCloud, and all other major podcast platforms. Learn more at cbf.net slash podcasts.